Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we are in the Big A, the Big Apple, Manhattan, New York City, and we are in Matt Sacconi's office, the CEO and founder of Moxie, down here on this nice little tiny island of bedrock with a few pretty big buildings on it. Matt, what's going on? It's good to see you. It's good to see you, Sam. I'm glad to finally meet in person. It's great to be here. I've, I've got to admit, I drove up from DC today and I feel like East Coast traffic isn't normally this quiet, but I got lucky. Everybody was commuting out of the city as I came downtown for, I don't know, maybe we could call it a sunset podcast. I like that. Sunset podcasts. Uh, you know, Matt, you've spent a lot of time in lighting and you've really kind of grown up in it essentially, but just tell us a little bit about who is Matt and how did you get your start in lighting? So to say that I grew up in lighting, I think is hitting the nail on the head, um, but in, yeah, interestingly enough, my father has been in lighting since he was 25. Um, he owned an electrical supply company and then eventually started a lighting agency, but I didn't know the difference between a lamp, a distributor, a contractor until I was 22 years old. So I got my first start in 2010 uh, after graduating college in a market where, let's just say banks weren't hiring a lot of people with economics degrees. Where'd you go to school? I went to Colgate University right in central New York. Yeah. So like anybody that's hard up at some point, you ask your parents for some help. And I turned around, I asked my dad if I could get a job and maybe learn something. Uh, And that was a little over 10 years ago. And here we are today. We're sitting in Manhattan. Can I say downtown New York? I we're no, in, we're in Midtown. Yeah, we're in like Herald Square. We're kind of no man's land. Okay. <laughs> no man's land in the middle of where there used to be at least 8 million people during the day. And right now it's it's a little bit less than that. Yeah. But we're coming back strong. I heard New York actually had its first day with zero new COVID deaths. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. Power to New York City. It's been amazing to watch you guys endure this. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. I think going through it day to day, sometimes actually the impact doesn't register as much as when I look at the overall picture of what the last four months has looked like. And even more so, I think in 10 years or 15 years, when I look back at this time and being in the city and having stayed in the city, it's going to be a big point on my lifeline. It's something you'll remember for sure. Yeah. New Yorkers all seem to have one of those big moments in their life they remember. Yeah, so, you know, somebody that didn't grow up in New York City, but in upstate New York and moved here, not late in life, but uh, not immediately after school. Yeah, this just might be my first big New York moment. There it is. Well, we're down here. You've got Moxie in Manhattan. When did you start it? And really, I think, what got you into starting the agency down here? So I started the agency in the summer of 2017. I had lived in New York for a year as a regional sales manager for a manufacturer before that. And the six and a half years before that, I worked at my father's agency in upstate New York. I'd love to tell you that there was some, you know, pinnacle moment where I was like, I have to start an agency. But it was something that kind of grew over time. And I think that when I moved to New York, I knew that this was the pinnacle of the lighting market. At, How'd you know that? Because that's what people told me. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's what people tell me too. Yeah, right? I mean, I've, I've, heard, I've heard there are as many lighting designers in Manhattan as there are the rest of the country. I didn't know that lighting design 
was a thing until I moved to New York. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how you go 100 miles north of the city and how quickly it changes. Sure. But this was the only industry I had worked in and someone that's a little bit of a dreamer. I wanted to come see what it was all about and I wanted to see if whether or not I could have a future in what is, you know, was I was told to be the toughest but best market and place for lighting in the world. When you say tough, I mean, obviously people were telling you, ooh, it's going to be tough down there. Well, what do you think tough meant? I think that anybody that works in any industry, whether or not it's lighting, et cetera, the more time you spend in it, the more of the challenges you see, the more of the uphill battles that you've faced, the more your naiveness goes away and the more likely you are to tell somebody who's new things are tough because they probably have been tough. You probably have had tough moments. You have this big picture. And so, yeah, when I came down here, it wasn't like tough scared me. It kind of made sense. I mean, things are tough. Any industry you get into, you want to start something up no different than yourself, Sam, right? There are a lot of challenges in that, but nothing good comes easily, right? Like in the most cliche way possible. Totally. Yeah. Just because something's tough doesn't mean that you can't do it or that it's not going to be rewarding. Well, you've been at this for a few years now, and I'm sure there's the tough days and there's the fun days and the rewarding days. But I want to just talk to you about kind of the progression of, of what it means to take really what has been a staple in the lighting industry in construction, which is the lighting agent. It's been around pretty much since the beginning of specification grade lighting as a way to help disseminate knowledge and also coordinate stuff back and forth uh, across the plane, so to speak, from manufacturer to designer and helping the contractor out. But you're in a situation where you've had the opportunity to grow up in that, learn a lot from that, and now adapt what is very much a traditional organization and inject some youth and some new ideas into it. Before we get to the new stuff, let's just revisit why does an agent exist today? I think probably like in a lot of industries, an agency exists because they have existed, right? They're kind of secured into the channels and the market in a way that make it tough to remove that. Maybe there's a way to get rid of gas stations if we really think about it, but they exist all over the United States. And at this point, there's such an infrastructure there. There's such an infrastructure of agency across the United States that is part of how the system flows to take that infrastructure and replace it with something else could be impossible. What was the gas the agencies were pumping out? Yeah, so particularly because with some of the European brands we work with in the United States and they come to us because they want to understand how the US works Yeah. versus how Spain works or France or England or other markets. Just a quick caveat because yeah. over in Europe, a lot of the times there are no reps. It's it's uh, factory direct. It's factory direct or like they have these relationships that are like four year or five year contracts. They have a very different take on their sales partners than we do in the US where we know that a lot of agencies operate on 30 day contracts. But I, I tend to look at the US as maybe even more than 50 countries, mm -hmm. right? Geographically, I mean, you, got, square you got five countries in New York. Yeah, you do, right? So when you look at it to that extent, if you were to go to a manufacturer and say, hey, you wanna sell to the EU, you wanna sell to even other countries in that European region, do you think you could afford to do it with a direct sales force? So I think in the United States, because of that different geography, because of the different cultures from one market to the next, in some ways, it makes sense 
that these platforms, these companies formed that were essentially a gas station for car manufacturers, right? Like a place for people to refill. So an agency was the ability to have a channel to a market without the traditional resources that go into doing something internally. Do you think that uh, you guys are more of like a BP, a Conoco? A, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the the gas station malls is, is a great analogy, right? It's something that's been around that it's been able to provide people with access to something that they very much need. Talk to me a little bit about what that access is that people need that agencies provide for the community every single day, no matter probably really who you are. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about access to information. And I guess if we're talking about the old to start, you know, agencies had catalogs, they had literature and manufacturers to this day still produce a lot of literature and probably some markets, some small areas still demand it. But you couldn't just type into a search bar or go to a website. I remember the first websites that manufacturers had 90% of the time, I would just go reference their literature instead. So I know that you and I started around the same time. I mean, that's that's what I started with. It wasn't that long ago that a catalog was your main source of information, a catalog or a phone call. And so that's transitioning, but ultimately it's access to information. It's the ability to provide not just technical details, but a variety of details about a product or about a brand that hopefully allows a designer to make an educated decision about what they're going to use or what a contractor is going to install or what an owner is going to own. It's interesting because you mentioned access to information and catalogs. I mean, there's cut sheets, there's price sheets. These things were literally sheets. I mean, you you used to have the catalog and you reference the catalog page and maybe not everybody got the opportunity to see it, but like Lothonia Lighting at one point had 15 binders of price sheets and you would cross-reference that and there was a very, very manual process, but it was really the only way and it was for lack of a better term the most efficient way you could do it by disseminating that all into the local markets and we know that construction is also local too so it makes sense to have local representation for every single construction project in the sense that not only were you providing access to information but you were also there after the fact to help service things yeah i mean ultimately what we're doing culminates in a physical space in a physical location mm-hmm I mean, we're not creating virtual spaces for people to live in. We're working on a part of a physical space. This isn't something that's going to change in the next two or four years. Yes, technology will progress, but people still build buildings. Absolutely. And that means being in a physical space, which means having somebody there. So there are more and more things we can do remote. I actually have a contractor in upstate New York that I FaceTime with when he has questions on a job site. But that didn't start till I went there and met him and I've been to the site and I understand the site, but he he has to work in a physical location in a physical space. I mean, that right there is an incredible example of something that still happens in this industry, but the way it happens is different. Those price sheets, those catalogs, that's obviously all digital now, which allows you guys to be probably a little bit more efficient at your job compared to what you used to be able to do. The uh, control F Find key on the keyboard comes in handy, I'm sure, when you're when you're looking up to information because you've got to get back to people quick. You know, it's kind of a doggy dog world out there. Sometimes yeah. we got to get information to people as fast as possible. Talk to me a little bit about when you came down to Manhattan, 
Was there anything right off the bat that you kind of sat there and looked at and said, hey, there's opportunity to create a modern agency? 100%. But actually, based on all the things we've talked about, this might take you a little bit by surprise. The reason I felt like... I. I want to call it a modern agency for sure, but I also want to call it a different agency from what I saw when I first came down here actually had to do with my experience in the upstate New York market. When I came to New York, like anybody that comes from somewhere smaller to somewhere bigger and you know, it's bright lights, big city. You're looking for the red apple. You're just like, this is going to be just crazy. And one of the first things that I felt like I encountered was actually that there was less being done in a market that I thought would be innovative and forward thinking and significantly further ahead of what we were doing in southern central New York. I found that in some ways it was the opposite. And that I I will stand on to say that that was a big reason why I felt like even though I had only been here for a year, that I could take that skill set and hopefully slowly injected into this marketplace in a way that would be a differentiator. Break that down just a little bit for yeah. me. I mean, uh, so in, I'm sure there's a couple examples. Yeah, I think it just comes to, you know, like I said, every market in the U.S. is different in what the representative was responsible for in upstate New York. I've just had a few more tiers than I felt like what the representative in Manhattan was responsible for. Like any naive person, I probably felt like I could change that just by talking about it. Change is tough. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, we're trying to find a way to meet in the middle of the two from where I first thought we could start to what existed and just maybe finding some sort of middle ground. But it's as simple as in upstate New York, like we do takeoffs, we do submittals, we program controls. We have to run a project from A to Z, start to finish. We have to work with the phasing, the delivery, etc. And the specification community is a lot smaller. There aren't lighting designers, there's engineers. So You know, you might not do design necessarily, but you might be doing a lot of calculations. You might be doing a lot of one-line diagrams, et cetera. And you're spending a lot of time, particularly as the technology advanced, you're spending a lot of time with contractors directly on what to do with this product when it shows up. In a way that I felt like was disseminated across a few more channels within New York. Trades people. Well, I mean, yeah, that bigger I, projects. Yeah, having had all those layers to what we had to do to ultimately sell a light fixture, I looked at that as an opportunity to take that model a little bit. We're going to get into some of the things that we're quote unquote modernizing, but to take that concept and look at okay, does a rep have to be what it already is in the city and just stay that way, or can I start to bring some of these things into what we do into the marketplace because I believe that they add value. You know, you said it's important to identify and create a process that sells a light fixture. That's trivial. What goes into selling a light fixture? Uh, There's so much that goes into selling lighting, understanding it. And um, really, there's a lot of value that you as a rep can add. But I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's think about it and dive in to how you've been able to inject and modernize things and create that fresh, new, elevated brand that Moxie Manhattan is. Sound good? Awesome. Great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and entertainment and architectural lighting. 
they bring you content that's fun, easy to digest, and honestly, just entertaining. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Matt and I were just catching up a little bit more about how he's been in Manhattan. And while he's observed there's a bit of a different change, he also has his own ideas and motivation to just try to help people along and make things more efficient. Matt, talk to me just a little bit more about kind of how you laid the groundwork here in Manhattan. And I'm guessing it's evolved a little bit in the last three years. In many ways, it's involved a ton. And in, I think like anybody who starts a business, it changes directions quite frequently. They're not necessarily sharp lefts or sharp rights, but where we are after three years compared to where I was day one, yeah, I would be hard pressed to say that this is necessarily how I envisioned it and not in a bad way, definitely in a, in a very good way. I started by myself and in three months in, I hired my first employee who's still with me today. His name's Richard. And in some ways, in a very modern way, Richard lives five hours from here and has worked for me remotely for almost three years now. He comes to the city pre-COVID maybe every three months, but primarily to go see baseball game or go to a Broadway show. More cultural, like business-wise. Um, even more remarkable, and I know Richard won't mind me saying this, Richard is in his late 50s, and he came from an organization that definitely did things old school. And in an awesome way, he he jumped right into a lot of the things, at least we do internally, that I feel like are modernized. I think traditionally, uh, from being in an office eight to five, to the software you use, private server, all these things we could get into, uh, one of the first things I did when I started Moxie was I wanted the platform to work anywhere. And and when you say platform and anywhere, define those two things. Yeah. So without getting into too much detail, agencies have been around for a while. The software and, and the systems in some ways that agencies are based around have been around for a long time as well. I mean, we're talking 50 years. And, yeah. And we went from all paper and no computers to computers to having basically like three programs that are built for the industry of lighting agents yep. that everybody uses. And most of them up till maybe even just three years ago, all operated on private servers in a physical location. They essentially are Excel based programs, etc. You know, my first set of lighting submittals, I printed, highlighted and put in an envelope. Yeah, and mailed. absolutely. And then I started faxing them or scanning them. Right. I introduced Adobe to the agency, I think, in maybe 2013. And, you know, just to get people on board with that was kind of crazy. So to go from that to a system where you can log into anything we do via web browser. Sure. Is a big jump. So we started focusing first on our internal systems for that, how we communicate internally, all the type of paperwork and proposals and all those things we have to do. Phase two in terms of modernizing it is external. So we've actually been deep into the throes of our project management software, which is something that when I first started the agency, I really looked at as something we could do unique. We're getting close to starting to bring external users into that. Actually, my partner, my older brother is really kind of spearheaded that. But all this is about access to information, both internally and externally, in a way that I feel like has always been cumbersome mm -hmm. or slow to move through channels. It's still there. It's remarkable in some ways, right? In some of these processes, how 
I could technically text a designer about something that we're putting through the channels and it might be four weeks before they see it. Yep. And what that does to particularly fast-paced construction projects. So we don't want to circumvent that process by any measure, but we want to continue to streamline it as much as possible on our end. And that's a big jump. So it started, it started with Rich, right? Just to kind of take back. And, um, and then you had Rich, you, you, you both about a cloud-based system. So you also were two people, you didn't have a big office showroom or anything else. I mean, you, you guys were utilizing the tools that these manufacturers had created for you, like their websites and sample cases and probably the subway and taxis to get around and, yeah. and, and connect with people. But I want to talk about that connecting with people. That's something that traditionally has been a human to human interaction, a, a, a meeting, a setup, lunch and learn, a, a private event, maybe a happy hour or something like that. The world's changing. It's changed a lot in the last eight weeks, but you guys were you guys were kind of keyed into the whole social media thing and looking into engaging with people digitally. Talk to me about what your perspective was like coming into this and where you're at on that today. So in some ways, I think my perspective coming into starting Moxie is a large reason why I'm sitting in a chair across from you right now. A comfortable and, chair, yeah, nonetheless. Yeah, really comfortable yeah, chair. Thanks for my comfortable chair. <laughs> I'm going to be really transparent about this in terms of the New York City marketplace and Moxie. From day one, Moxie to me needed to be a brand. And in some ways, it's a tough thing to say because I believe we're more than just a brand. We're more than digital images. We're more than just some emotional feeling that we give people. But this market in particular for me is a very, very design driven market. Like design and brand sometimes are synonymous with each other. And so the design of Moxie, the feel of it, the way that we communicate, the things that we care about, the content that we push, all those things matter to me as an agency from day one, from the choice of logo to the choice of name. I think in and of itself, in the most simplest way, we are just Moxie. We are not an abbreviation. We're not a last name. We're not anything that actually has anything to do with lighting. It's it's a brand. And that choice was conscious because I think really good brands can still do really good work. I don't think they have to be two different things. And we wanted our brand to be more than just the products we represented, more than just a single thing that we did. We wanted to be all encompassing. And I looked at how do people interact with brands, not necessarily agencies, but brands, right? We're talking people. And we're talking the world, world. right? We're and talking, why do I have a Patagonia shirt? Why, why do I wear Lululemon yeah. all the time? Why do I have my favorite designer handbag? Or, yeah. I mean, this legitimately is the best tennis racket out there. Yeah. Wilson. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anytime someone says Wilson, I just think of Tom Hanks. And um, yeah. So yeah, the brand needed to be multi-layered. It needed first and foremost to be about what we did, but you know, brands communicate in a variety of ways. And in today's world, it's it's more and more in front of a screen in some form or function, whether it's a 10 second snippet or maybe some longer form content, et cetera. And so I had very little resources when I started. I think you can understand what that's like. You had free tools of the internet though. But that that I most certainly oh, had. I stole it from you. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, no, that is, that is perfect. And so from things as simple as like what, I would choose to do with our Instagram from our first five followers to where we are now 
And why was Instagram and followers as a lighting agent something that was important to you? Was that part of your brand identity? Yeah, it was, you know, I think it was a way to present our personality. I want our personality to be out there. But you can just go see everyone. You can and you can't. I mean, like if we're learning anything right now, right? More and more, it's gonna be tough maybe to see people in person. And it's a numbers game. There's one of you and how many of them? You know, agencies, if we're talking, if we kind of tie this back into the old, there are a lot of agencies, you know, and I'll probably take some here. They're named after the people who started them. Because design traditionally, that's, that's where it's all come from. But there was a mentality behind that. And yeah, like you said, that was a brand and a personality and companies were a lot smaller back then. And it sounds to me like maybe, you know, Matt's name on the wall isn't what's important for Moxie, but Moxie has its own identity. Yeah, I think that when I started it, because it was just me and then two people, like it's hard to not be synonymous with a brand. But I also was conscious that if I chose the right name and I chose the right vehicles to present who we were, that that meant anybody that came on board could be part of that brand in a way that was unique to them. So there can be this umbrella that is Moxie, but it allows people to kind of operate in my company in a way, hopefully that's a little bit more freeing and individualistic. And like anybody who's competing for talent, competing for the people that come to work for them and who they're going to be, um, the culture you set and the tools you provide people and the how they feel about what they're doing, all that's important. And so uh, that was a, a big part of that decision. So when you look at that old and, and coming into the new, fundamentally as an agent, you have a, a set of roles and responsibilities, but you've branded yourselves as not necessarily people creating a service, but a a group and identity that is out there to serve the design community. There's some key principles that I think today are still very much the same from how an agency started to what its responsibility is today, but things are changing. And when I say change, I mean the way that everybody goes to market, maybe the way they engage and communicate. What's changing the most uh, today and what do you think is going to change in the future too? So I'm gonna start with, if you don't pay attention to people who've been doing it for 30 or 40 years and all the things that they learned and experienced along the way, I think what you think needs to change will probably be wrong. It's in some ways the best way to get an education on what could be different. Is experience. Yeah, so that's, that's a really important piece to me. I got a ton of experience from my father. I got a ton of experience from a lot of people in this industry along the way who have gone out of their way to help me and to teach me from contractors to designers to suppliers, owners across the board. Um, and it's, it's something that I, I really valued. I can take that, look at those channels, look at the way the world kind of works now, and particularly as students come out of school, et cetera, and look at how that is gonna change going forward. No different than 10 years ago when I was like, hey, there's this thing called Adobe, let's use it, right? Totally. So we have to be listening. Like I don't have a TikTok channel, but you better believe that came up in a meeting. So I think that there are some core principles that we have to maintain, but as the world evolves, we have to constantly looking at how people communicate and listening to what they're telling us that they want in some ways in terms of communication. And we can see that obviously like we're a really small company, but we still look at quote unquote data. I can see who interacts with Instagram and how often I can see how many people interact with the website, what parts of the website, all those type of things. 
and that's valuable to you. It's hugely valuable. What what kind of things can you do with that if you if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so this is like a really what a perfect tidbit of social media in 2020 as an agency. I would say that half of my new customer base or opportunity, if not more, has come through Instagram. It comes from one designer sharing a post or making a connection with another or us being part of- Wait, 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 wait a second. You didn't take him a cookie and drop off a catalog? I did not. Wow. Yeah. In some ways, it's other people who operate on those platforms sharing something about us and vice versa. Right. So if I share something and tag Light Eye in it, or Light Eye share something and tags Moxie in it, right? We've just exposed each other to basically our our network books in a way that definitely did not happen previously. Absolutely not. And it's beneficial to both of us in some ways because it gives us exposure. It'll be really interesting what that does in three to five years in terms of some of the geographical lines that are drawn. Absolutely. In the agency world, how people um, can quickly disseminate and share information. Yeah, because you. I mean, everyone has a website today. Yeah. So, you know, there's part of the industry that we talked about this, the contractor part, right? Like they have to operate in a physical space. They are building the building or they're, they're building the landscape. They're installing this product. You're in a specific or you're not. The design community, uh, not so much, right? So you mentioned site visits with FaceTime. I mean, yeah. remote working capabilities, anything with an internet connection, yep. you might argue you could get just about. Well, you can. Besides a physical sample, you yeah. can get anything. So we haven't completely crossed that realm, I think, where there's a high enough percentage of people that only communicate through that digital way across geographical lines that will completely create an issue in the agency world. But I do think it's going to present some challenges in two, three, four years from now. It already is, right? In terms of like, hey, I found you via the internet. I asked you a question. In some ways, it's just as much time for me to punt that back to somebody in California as it is for me to go, yeah, it comes in 3,000 Kelvin. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that's that's the Q&A and the digital exchange. Yeah. I've got to ask, physical samples, creative people, designers, I mean, all of us, we love to see things. We love to really feel how it feels in the space. Uh, you hear from lighting designers very, very often, mock it up. The best way to know what it's going to do is mock it up. We've got calculation software. There's so many tools out there. You know, there, there's things like LightEye that I've tried to develop to help people understand and learn about a, a fixture in a virtual environment, but nothing replaces a physical sample. How many people are calling you asking for a physical sample of a product today versus I need questions and answers in X amount of time? So you kind of nailed it here in that. In New York, yeah. How again, right? Again. I, I'll get at least three in. In New York City, always. Everywhere else, rarely. Interesting. Why do you think that is? History. Mm-hmm. Liability. Like, in, in the importance of how people view design. When I started and I talked about, like, I didn't know the difference between a lamp and a ballast and all these things. One of the first things I did, actually, in the first couple months I worked for my dad is after work hours, I go back into the sample room and I just started taking light fixtures apart. Mm -hmm. Cause like, I didn't know what hanger bars were. I didn't know what a spackle flange was. Like, I didn't know what a filler end was. I didn't know what any of these things were. I never installed a light. And then one day I asked him like, Hey, can I install one of these? So that like, I can kind of understand when someone calls and says, I don't have this, therefore it doesn't work. I actually understand what they're talking about and why. 
like how hangar bars get nailed to a joist and that allows them to line up their their housing and pull their MC through like all these things that in some ways when you're designing lighting or looking at a specification sheet like those aren't the first things you think about and they in some ways they shouldn't be right if you're designing lighting in my opinion I mean first and foremost you have to think about how that space is going to look absolutely um, but there's what in some ways makes lighting so fascinating and it's probably will keep me in it for my entire working life is all those layers. And so I came to the conclusion in some ways myself before I even came to New York, uh, when we first started doing our first RGBW projects and exterior projects, and people started asking about calculations. Now here I was only having done like 10 by 10 boxes and yep. laying in two by twos. And it's like, cool, I can get foot candles on the work plane. All of a sudden going like, well, how do you model this? And I went, why model it when we can just get one and go put it up against the wall and see what it looks like and be like, cool, like let's plug in it outside at night. So like you said, it's all about access to information. It is. And so I think that somebody's going to figure out how to do it virtually in a way that works 90% of the time. There's also something to touching and feeling a product that's hard for me to see people who are really serious about design and lighting getting away from. Because you you learn a lot when you have something in your hands. And maybe tying this back to when we talked about, like, what are you doing but lighting a physical space, right? This isn't a virtual space. It's a real space. So you should see what and feel what it looks like in person because that's the job it's supposed to be doing. And in an ideal world, we would have a space to mock everything up based on the design criteria, the time, the fee, et cetera, et cetera, yep. et cetera. That's tough. Today, people are crunched for time. Um, even if you can get stuff built, I mean, lead times can be an issue. Getting stuff shipped, making sure it doesn't break across the way. So designers do have to continue to try to explore new avenues to, to learn about products and see what it is they're going to put in a space, sometimes without seeing it. A hundred percent. And again, yeah, like from market to market, what's budgeted for lighting, right? It varies tremendously. And so... In a lot of markets, there isn't a resource there to do that. In the upstate New York market, it exists if the project's big enough and it makes sense for us mm -hmm. to make that investment before we get paid on anything to do those mock-ups. You've had experience with that before, I'm sure. I think that in New York City, while there's still a ton for the design community, I think to grow better than anywhere else in the world, they've done a fantastic job of teaching people why they're valuable and they yep. should get paid for what they do and Absolutely. why these things should take place. I think in other markets I've learned like, hey, you know, you're planning on having this building for what, 50 years? So what's a little bit of extra time right now to make sure that it looks <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> and that comes down to the investment and, yeah. and what things cost. You know, this has been a really tremendous conversation to talk about kind of the evolution of an agency and the roles and the responsibilities. I'd like to dive in a little bit more and talk about the, the pricing aspect of it and budgets and cost and, and how there's a value that comes along with all of that and specifications and how that really does take teamwork. What do you think? Yeah, sounds great. Great, cool. Well, I tell you what, we're gonna wrap this one up and we'll have you back to the studio and I'll fly back to New York or maybe we'll just press pause and we'll press play again. Matt, thanks so much for this conversation. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Sam. See ya. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, if you enjoyed this podcast, then do me a favor. Head back to the platform that you listen to and click like or subscribe. 
That's the best way to never miss an episode of The Light Pod, where we interview people who are all things lighting, building technology, curious about the future, and honestly, just have fun stories to tell. Until then, see ya. Oh, 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 oh,